The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. We're in the fourth week of talking about discipleship, a path of a mature disciple. And uh, no, it's a path. It's not something you, you got figured out. It's, it's a process of growing in maturity. The first week we looked at, four weeks ago, was being someone committed to following Jesus. Uh, the second week was someone committed to growing in understanding and intimacy with Jesus. Uh, last week, Daniel preached on gathering, someone who's committed to being together, following and growing together as a family. And today we're going to look at giving. Uh, Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all, uh, to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we're going to continue just really, what does it mean for us to be disciples and disciple makers of Jesus? So we're going to read Second Corinthians, and uh, this is actually one of my favorite passages in Scripture as it uh, gives us really the testimony of these Macedonian believers um, in a way that is just an incredible example to us. So if you'd follow along. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And you're going to see the word grace is mentioned four times and just really saturates this passage. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that an incredible phrase? In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then one of the most incredible 
verses in scripture. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let's, let's pray. Father, I need you as I share this scripture, as I share what you've put on my heart. And Father, I just give us to you that you would give us hearts uh, that, that whenever we hear your word, we're eager to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? So please teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was thinking that the the easiest way for a sermon on giving would be, you know, and I could even let you out earlier if we just all agree to give 50% of our incomes and then we just go home. Not funny? Okay. You guys, that was a joke. Okay. Um, I know what's going through some of your minds. Some of you are thinking, drat. If I knew that he was preaching on giving, I would have skipped this Sunday, right? (laughs) Um, Giving is one of those things that when we talk about it, I think immediately it breeds defensiveness or even like, you know, they're going to try and guilt me into giving. They're going to, I think immediately it makes us um, kind of just defensive. Um, I can understand that because uh, one of my worst remembrances of watching a television program um, was when Cindy and I were on a motorcycle trip um, and stayed at a motel overnight. Um, thought that'd be cool to say we were on a motorcycle trip, you know. Um, and so... Um, we were at the motel and since we don't watch TV at home, we have a TV, we watch movies, but we don't have TV reception. Uh, you know, kind of like a kid, you know, in a motel with a TV. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is exciting. What's on TV? Um, and so we were flipping through the channels and we found this TV program. And I, honestly, this is what we saw. And Cindy pleaded with me to turn it off, but I was so fascinated and repulsed by it, I couldn't turn it off. Um, there's this guy, he was an, an actor. His, he was called a preacher, but he was an actor. And he was hopping on one foot. He had taken his right shoe off. And he was hopping up and down. And while he was hopping up and down on his foot, he was yelling, take your shoe off, take your shoe off. And the whole point of it was to somehow convince people that they should give him money and that by giving him money, they'd be receiving God's blessing. And it was absolutely disgusting. What what was amazing to me is the camera panned on the people that were in his audience is, I mean, you look at them and you're thinking, where are their brains? I mean, what are they sitting through this for? Uh, because obviously he was just making a fool out of himself in order to get their money. Um, I was thinking that maybe uh, 
what we should do instead of titling the sermon Give, we should instead title it something like What's in it for me? Like that? Sounds better? And you guys are really dead. <laughs> or, or follow Jesus to health, wealth, and prosperity. You like that one? Well, or get God, get wealthy. I mean, you guys would be taking notes for sure. You'd be running back to the back. I want to take notes. <laughs> okay, well, the question is, with all the misunderstandings and all the abuse that there is about giving, um, why talk about giving? And this is important. This is why. It's because, and we're going to bring this to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 here. It's because what we do with our time and money reveals our hearts. Let me repeat that. What you do, what I do with our time and money reveals our hearts. In Matthew 6.21 it says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Isn't that true? Think about it. What we pour our time and money into reveals where our hearts are at. Where we put our time and money reveals where our hearts are at. So the big question that I want you to be thinking about as we go through this passage this morning is, what does the way you spend your money and time say about your heart? Think about that. What does the way you spend your time and money say about your heart? Now, I'm going to make a disclaimer up front because some of you are getting really yeah, a little defensive right now and a little tense, like, I can't believe I'm going to have to sit through this for 30 minutes. This is the disclaimer. If you don't want to give, don't. Is that clear? If you're reluctant to give, don't. If you think I'm trying to guilt you into giving this morning, please don't even think about giving, okay? The point of the sermon is this. I want you, as we look at the testimony of these Macedonian believers, I want you to be so gripped, so grabbed, so amazed, so impacted by the grace of Jesus towards you that you will want to do anything for him. You'll want, his, you'll want your all to be his. Kind of like the songs that we just sang. He's given his all for you and you'll want to give your all for him. So the big idea, if we can come to Second Corinthians here, is Radical generosity, and we're going to see that here. Radical generosity reveals a heart that is gripped by grace. Radical generosity reveals a heart that is gripped by grace. In 2 Corinthians 9-7, the following chapter, it says, Each of you should give, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion. Don't give because somebody's telling you to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. And literally what it means is God loves somebody that gets a kick out of giving. 
They just, it makes you giggle and all excited to give. And you're thinking, that is really crazy. But that's what it says. God loves somebody that is excited to give. To give of their time, give of their money. Excited when they're, when they're tired out to take a dinner to somebody who's sick. <laughs> when your schedule's full to still make time to mentor a youth. <laughs> to do street outreach, to send a card to somebody that's lonely, that gets a kick out of giving. So why do we title this sermon Give? It's because I really consider this sermon kind of like a spiritual EKG. And I'm not sure why it's called EKG because electrocardiogram, cardio is C, but anyway. Um, Think of it like a spiritual EKG. And EKG is to test, you know, if, if there's an electrical problem with the heart. It's to test the heart, if it's healthy or not. And as we look at, uh, if we can just flip to verse 8 here, that's exactly what Paul says he's doing here as he's writing to the Corinthians. He says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And the earnestness of others, as he's writing to the Corinthians, is the Macedonians. He's wanting to test the sincerity of their love. What does the way you spend your time and money say about the health of your heart. So, back to verse 1. Radical generosity reveals a heart gripped by grace. As we come to this passage, Paul is writing uh, to them to remind them that he is on their way, you know, he is on his way to Corinth uh, for a collection uh, of money For the poor in Jerusalem, their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are going through a famine. And so the church is collecting money for the relief of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now, before the church at Corinth has said that they would give money to support their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But Paul, he's wanting to make sure that when he arrives, they're not going to say, oh, drat. I decided to buy some extra sandals instead. Or I decided on a Mediterranean vacation. Or I decided on a new chariot. Or, you know, the things that you'd buy back then. He wants to know that when he arrives, what they've promised they're going to give. So he pins this letter to them what we see as he talks about the Macedonian believers is incredible generosity, radical generosity. If I were to define radical generosity from this passage, this is what I'd say. I'd say it's being crazy excited, okay? It's being crazy excited to give and give and give regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the circumstances. Notice verse two. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial. These aren't people who have a cush life. If you read in Acts 16, we get a glimpse of 
the persecution that the believers in, in um, Philippi and Macedonia were, were going through because when Paul and Silas showed up in Philippi and cast the demon out of a girl who was being used by some ruthless men to make money for themselves and the men realized that this girl is no longer going to be able to tell the future and make them money, they beat them up and throw them in prison in a dungeon. Um, in the midst of a very severe trial. That's what these believers were going through just for being followers of Jesus. But in the midst of a very severe trial, overflowing joy. And I think what happened is this, Paul and Silas were thrown into jail. If you remember the story, I mean, they're just singing up a storm. They're having a worship service. They're having a great time because they're so in love with Jesus and the fact that they could suffer for him. That they had the privilege of suffering for this one who had, Jesus who had suffered so much for them. So in the midst of a very severe trial, the Macedonian believers following Paul and Silas's example are just have this same overflowing joy. That's convicting to me because man, I can, I can complain when I get the flu and my wife knows how much I complained a couple of weeks ago. Um, and their extreme poverty, which I think came from the persecution. As we read stories of brothers and sisters around the world right now in places like Pakistan and, and Vietnam and, and, and China and Iraq, I mean, we, we read stories of the persecution they're going through, which ends up meaning they lose their homes, they lose their possessions, they get kicked out of their villages, they're living in in camps, resulting in extreme poverty. And I think that was the case of these Macedonian believers. They were losing everything for following Jesus. But in the midst of that extreme poverty, notice, welled up in rich generosity. Can you believe that? I mean, I'm thinking that they were probably poorer off than the believers in Jerusalem, that they were giving that they were so excited to give to. And in the midst of that extreme poverty, incredible generosity, uh, radical generosity. Does that describe you? Just crazy, excited, just at every opportunity to give and give your time, your money, your talents, your food, regardless of your circumstances, because it's not about what you're going through, it's about how gripped your heart is by grace. But notice verse three, again, it describes, it says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Is that what we consider giving a, a privilege? <laughs> as I as I read this, they urgently pleaded for this privilege. I was thinking about um, one of our grandchildren, our granddaughter had her birthday yesterday. And so we had, I mean, beyond, besides a swarm of kids at our house, which was <laughs> delightful, um, we had five of our grandkids there out of our 96 grandkids or something. No, was, the, and you know, after playing all day, they stayed overnight Friday night and then they were together all day and by the end they were bushed and, 
And as I was sitting on the couch with our oldest daughter, she had her youngest son in her lap. And he was just bawling and begging for a piece of gum. (laughs) And and it was a gumball that he wanted out of the gumball machine. And she kept offering, you can't have the gumball, but I have a piece of gum. And and he's just, I want the gum. And and he just went on. And, you know, he didn't get. And, And that's these people. They're just begging, please, please, please. And Paul's saying, oh, you have given enough. You, you have nothing yourselves. And there's just a plea for the privilege of sharing. You know, it's so different. I forgot to read these statistics in the, in the morning gathering, but the statistics for the United States of America over the past 40 years, evangelical Christians have given an average of 2 to 3% of their income to their churches and Christian organizations. 20% of evangelical Christians giving nothing. Wow, what a, what a contrast to these Macedonian believers that are just saying, please, 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 can we give? Uh, the question is, why? <laughs> what makes the difference uh, why they are so radical in their generosity. And it's because, as I said in the big idea, they have hearts gripped by grace. Now, if radical generosity means just crazy, excited about giving and giving and giving, regardless of the circumstances, meaning there's no excuse. Radical generosity doesn't make excuses. It just, I I just want to give. It's because of a heart gripped by grace, which is, to put it simply, to me, just being crazy excited about Jesus. Crazy excited about what Jesus has done, which overflows into being just crazy excited to give to others in light of what Jesus has given us. And so notice verse verse 6, it says, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Like I said, four times In this passage, it just mentions grace. Verse 7. Since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Do you get it? Giving is about grace. It's not about compulsion. It's not about percentage. It's about grace. I'm not commanding you but I'm wanting to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then, to me, one of the most incredible verses, verse 9, that we're going to camp on for a second. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's what it's about. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. It's a heart gripped by that, that just overflowing with gratitude is incredibly generous. Now, what I'd like us to do to just try and get this, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, and he did that also, that we in our spiritual poverty could become spiritually rich. Um, I'd like you to just, If you want to close your eyes, you can do that because I'm just going to read some passages to contrast this incredible grace 
that Paul is referring to here. I just want you to get the, the contrast between the wealth of Jesus and then the poverty that he became in order that we might become spiritually rich. In John chapter 12, verse 41, it says that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. In Isaiah chapter 6, that Isaiah literally saw Jesus' glory, and this is what he saw. Listen, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. You could say, I saw the Lord Jesus. High and exalted, seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling, the angels were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Jesus Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cried, woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I've seen Jesus, the Lord Almighty. Now, seeing that, I want you to see this in your mind's eye as we come to Matthew chapter 26. As Jesus has been betrayed by Judas and he's standing before the high priest, in verse 63, the high priest says to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, you have said so. From now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And it's like he's giving a glimpse of Isaiah 6 there. You're going to see me in all my glory. And the high priest, he tore his clothes and said, he's spoken blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. And then they spit in his face. And they struck him with their fists and they slapped him. And they said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And then he was led to Pilate where the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium in Matthew 27 and and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him and they stripped him. This is the king of glory. And they put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head and they put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and they mocked him hail king of the Jews and they spit on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again and after they mocked him they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him the king of glory And as they led him away to crucify him on the cross, he said, it is finished, paid in full. So when he who was rich, the king of glory, the Lord Almighty became poor for us in that way 
spit and mocked upon and, and struck. And then on the cross said, it is finished, paid in full. We who are spiritually poor in our sinfulness, he made us rich, paid in full. Our sins on the cross, paid in full as he hung there for us, sin so that we could be righteous. Rich, rich. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, sinless, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that incredible? That he who was rich, sinless, the eternal God of the universe, glorious God, hung on the cross, sin for us, so that we in our sinfulness might hear those words paid in full, believe in him, and have everlasting life. Wealth, spiritual wealth is children, sons and daughters, heirs of the king of the universe. And so Jesus became sin that we might become righteous. Jesus was wounded that we might become healed. Jesus was broken that we might become whole. Jesus was separated from the Father so that we might become united with the Father. He became a man of sorrows so that we might have everlasting joy. He died that we might live. He thirsted so that we might drink deeply from him, the fountain of living water. Isn't that incredible? The grace of our Lord Jesus. And the point is that if we really get that incredible grace, if we get it, then we're going to just say, my life is yours, period. Not... 10% as if then 90% is ours? Did he give us 10%? And we give him 10% back? Forget the requirements, the percentages, the numbers. It's he gave us everything. And so we say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. C.T. Studd, in the first gathering, I said he was a rugby player. Daniel reminded me he was a cricket player. Not that any of you know what cricket is, but um, it's weird baseball. The, um, <laughs> hopefully none of you are British. Anyway, the um, wealthy heir to an incredible inheritance, national hero cricket player, left it all when he heard about Jesus, left it all to go to China and then to Africa where he gave his life that those who had never heard about Jesus and his incredible grace might hear about him. C.T. Studd said, if Jesus is really God and he really died on the cross for me, he really became poor that I might become rich, there isn't anything too great that I shouldn't be willing to do for him. Isn't that true? And as a result, giving of our time, our money, would never be a burden or a requirement or an inconvenience or an imposition, but a joy like the Macedonians, like, ah, can I do it? Can I give it? Because of what he's given to me. I'm challenged so much 
by reading these articles in this book, Voice of the Martyrs, by reading the testimonies of brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, this is just a little quip here. It's about this man, Abu Ali, and, and their, their faces are blocked out because like the Macedonian believers, incredible persecution uh, and death is, is always at their doorstep. Abu Ali and his family were forced from their home when ISIS overran Mosul, Iraq. And we read about that in the news. So today they're the only Christian family among thousands of Muslims in their camp for people displaced by ISIS. This is what I want you to get. But Abu Ali cannot keep silent about the Jesus who gave him new life. And his contagious faith is leading other Muslims to trust Jesus true. That's radical generosity by a heart gripped by grace. What excites you? Is it the thought of giving to the Lord? (laughs) That we might see people in Kitsap County and, 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 and around the world come to know that same amazing grace? I was incredibly blessed. Jacob mentioned Cheryl Pierce to visit with her in the hospital yesterday. And as she was so overwhelmed, as she shared with me um, a 54-year-old homeless man who um, died just the week before. She had just found out. Uh, a man that she just poured herself into as for years he'd been living out in the cold homeless. But not only grieving for him who had become such a good friend to her, but also so so comforted by the fact that he didn't die homeless alone outside, but in the company of other people inside. I mean, that's the heart of somebody that's been gripped by grace and just wants it to overflow to whoever. Only one life soon will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Um, it was Jim Elliott. Um, we remembered last year the 60th anniversary of Jim Elliott and the other men who were martyred 60 years ago by the Aka Indians. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. One of the times that Cindy and I look back on with the fondest memories is when we were in Dallas, Texas, and I was going to seminary. Um, And it was the good old days. We made $400 a month. Pretty impressive, huh? But our our rent was $150. We made $400. But we were so gripped by God's grace (laughs) and so excited to just overflow our love to him and our joy that... Of that $400 that we made, we committed to giving 20%, $80 a month. Because it wasn't, a, it wasn't a requirement. It wasn't a burden. It was just a joy. We did it. Nobody told us we had to do it. We just did it. We were so in love with Jesus. We were just like the Macedonian believers. We just wanted to give. As I've read this passage over and over again and studied, I've, God personally convicted me 
Dave, where is your heart at now? <laughs> Have you lost that, <clears throat> that sense of amazing grace being gripped by the grace of our Lord Jesus, my Lord Jesus, and what he did for me, that it's just, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to give? How do you want me to spend my time? And I think simply that's what this passage is calling us to ask is, Jesus, you have loved me. You have given yourself for me. What do you want me to do for you? I just ask us to ask him that. But you know, the starting point for us this morning might be to see that amazing grace, to go back and read the passages, Isaiah 6 and then Matthew 26 and 27 and and see the contrast and remember afresh what he did for you, what he gave for you. Just say, God, open my eyes to see and to be overwhelmed and be gripped so that whatever you want from me is yours. Think about it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. How will your heart respond to such amazing grace? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, that we don't live under the law where you got to do this, you got to give this. But it's just this grace that if we get it, we'll just breed incredibly grateful and generous people. Like the widow with her two mites who Jesus said she's given more than everybody else and all their wealth because she just gave everything. Father, help our lives to be yours at your disposal, whatever you want us to be because of your great grace. Thank you. Amen.